James chapter 4. Now on here, I want you to be able to look at um, what I think James is trying to communicate, right? So this is why I've been giving you the, a, a big idea for each section uh, that we're covering so that you can kind of get a like a, a bird's eye view of what each section is about, all right? So um, again, you can see the four things, the four points that I think James is trying to cover in uh, uh, in verses 1 through 12. Um, when it, you look at my message statement, right, the very last one, the message statement, I think this is what James is trying to communicate to us, and this is what um, I'll be trying to convey in these verses uh, this week and next week, all right? Um, and it is simply this, that conflict among Christians and with God is the result of our sinful desires for pleasure and adulterous friendship with the world. But it's overcome by grace from God, humility before God, and our refraining from speaking evil of and judging one another. Okay, so I think that kind of wraps together all that James is trying to say to us. I'm just going to focus on the first uh, two parts of this, how conflict among Christians and with God is, is the result of our sinful desires for pleasure and adulterous friendship with God. And then next week, I'll come back and talk about um, how we overcome those things. All right. So you can keep that uh, with your uh, notes for the book of James. All right. Let us read starting at verse one and then I'll pray. Verse one reads, where do wars and fights come from among you? Do they not come from your desires for pleasure that war in your members? You lust and do not have. You murder and covet and cannot obtain. You fight and war. Yet you do not have because you do not ask. You ask and you do not receive because you ask amiss, that you may spend it on your own pleasures. Adulterers and adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you not, or do you think that the scripture says in vain, the spirit who dwells in us yearns jealously, but he gives more grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Lament and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. Do not speak evil of one another, brethren. He who speaks evil of a brother and judges his brother speaks evil of the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is one lawgiver who is able to save and to destroy. Who are you? to judge another. Lord, we come today to hear your word. We pray that you would sanctify us through your word because your word is truth. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would give us 
spiritual understanding. Open our eyes to be able to see exactly what you are saying to us today. The hardest thing to do is to be able to look at our own hearts, our own motives, and to agree that yes, sometimes we have the wrong motivations. But today I pray that you would speak to our hearts today. I pray that you would allow us to see what James is saying in this passage about loving the world and about spiritual adultery and all of the things that we will uh, see in this text. And I pray, Lord, that the areas that fit within our lives, Lord, I pray that you would help us to be able to agree with you and to confront those things in our own hearts so that we would not be in a place of hostility with you and that we would not continue to make ourselves your enemies. We thank you now in Jesus' name. Amen. If there is one relational truth that every human being comes to know, it is that conflict is inevitable. If you have a relationship for any serious length of time, you will experience some form of conflict. Conflict is a part of life and it is all around us. And if you think that I'm exaggerating, just watch the nightly news. <laughs> Somehow, the evening news broadcast every single night is able to collect enough data to prove the doctrine of total depravity. Each night, they report on conflicts for that day in your viewing area. They report on domestic disputes, shootings in the area, workplace violence, protests taking place in various, uh, for various causes, wars and disputes among nations, and political fights. Conflict in life is inevitable. Now, on Tuesday, Janita and I took Kayla and Karis to Six Flags America. And uh, we spent the entire day in the pool, right? I mean, it was hot. We spent the, so we spent the whole day in the pool. Had a great day. Everything was great. No problems at all. It's time to leave. And so as we're leaving, we decide to stop at a kiosk and get Kayla and Karis some cotton candy for the ride home. And so, uh, I get to this kiosk. Now, if you, you've been to Six Flags, right, I'm going to have to explain to you because, you know, some people don't understand. Okay. So when you get to the kiosk, there's one line for purchases. And then there's a separate line for refilling your drinks. Okay. One line for purchases and one line for people to refill their drinks. So I get in line. There's only two people in line in front of me. So I'm just standing in mind of my business, just looking around, you know. And so there's a lady that is next to me in the refill line, okay? But that line is moving a little faster. So she gets there and she refills her drinks and she wants to purchase a bottle of water. And I hear the guy clearly say, you can't buy the water here, you have to get in that line, okay? And so she does what everyone would normally do, she just takes a step over <laughs> and stands in the middle of both lines. And so being a prophet, I see exactly what's about to happen. And so I stop and I talk to the Lord. And I say, Lord, please give me 
the the ability to respond properly to this lady. Okay. And so I just I stand there and wait. And and sure enough, as soon as the, the lady in front of me walks away, she jumps up and she hands the girl her money and asks for a bottle of water. Now what do you think happened? <laughs> Conflict is inevitable, right? And so it's so I, I, I step up to the counter as well, and I say, oh, excuse me, ma'am. Uh, I, I was waiting here in line. No, you weren't. I've been waiting here all of this time. I said, ma'am, you, you were just in that line refilling your drinks. Oh, yeah, that's what I'm saying. I was in this line all of this time, and, and he told me I couldn't buy my water. I had to get in that line. I, I, I said, oh, I know. I, I was listening the whole time, but that's how I know he you was not in this line. I've, I've been waiting. Man, he told me I need to get in this line. I said, well, ma'am, normally when you get in lines, you get in the back. You, 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 don't, you don't get in the, in the front of lines. You get in, in the back of lines. And so, and so she wanted to go back and forth. And, and I even surprised myself. I was calm. I didn't raise my voice. I wasn't flustered. You know, but but she just wanted to go back and forth and, uh, and explain herself. Well, that's not right, because they told me I couldn't buy it over there. I said, ma'am, uh, let me explain to you how this goes. The, and the, the workers are just standing there looking. <laughs> I said, I said, ma'am, there's two lines here. I said, there's one line to make purchases, and there's one line to refill your drinks. You were in the line to refill your drinks. He said, you can't buy water. That means you get in the back of the line, right? So she, is, she gets so upset <laughs> right, that she just turns and storms off, walking away. And so I said, <laughs> say, hey, ma'am, you forgot to get your water. Okay. <laughs> right. So she comes back, storms over, snatches the water from the little girl. Have a good day. <laughs> like, walked off. So I get my cotton candy. And then I walk over to Janita and Kaylin Karras. They're sitting, you know, one of the tables waiting. And um, I was like, that woman is crazy. <laughs> and so Janita's like, you were wrong. And I'm like, what? Oh, how am I wrong? I, I didn't raise my voice. I was calm. I, you know, I was, I was poised. I even smiled when I was talking to the lady. <laughs> and so Janita says that I was wrong because of the smirk I had on my face when I called the woman to tell her that she left her water. Okay. And so I tried to explain. I was just trying to be a good Christian and let her know she left her water. Okay. Okay. Now, I do know that I got way too much pleasure out of, uh, out of seeing this woman flustered uh, uh, about this water. Right. So the question is, why did there need to be a conflict? Because I made it one. That's true. <laughs> why, why did there need to be a conflict? The, the, the truth is that external conflicts between myself and this lady was the result of both of our internal dispositions. Obviously, uh, this woman has uh, a lax patience because there was no one in line behind me. <laughs> I was the last person in line. Okay. 
And obviously, she does not believe that rules apply to her because she thought that when you get in line, you're supposed to get in front of lines instead of in the back of lines. But at the same time, there was way too much pride involved on my end. Now, my pride coupled with the spiritual gift of teaching caused me to take 60 seconds out to teach this woman how Six Flags works <laughs> and, and how to properly enter a line. Okay. The, the, uh, another question is, did I really have to say anything to this woman? Could I have just simply let her buy her water and go about her business? Now, someone, when I asked this question before, someone told me that, no, because you can't let people walk over you. Okay. But why not? But, but why not? Why, why can't we allow things that are insignificant why we just can't let them go? The answer is because of pride. And secondly, the answer is because we oftentimes see meekness, which the Bible describes as power under control, we see that as weakness. There is nothing wrong, excuse me, with picking and choosing which battles are serious enough to fight. But pride tells us that we have to fight every single battle, even the most insignificant ones. Now, before we move on, I want us to look really quickly. I want you to turn to Psalm 22. Psalm 22. It's taking me a moment to find that I'm using a new Bible because Someone dropped my Bible and knocked all my pages out. <laughs> I hate when you when you had new Bibles, the pages stick together and stuff. But it's nice and white. No notes written on it. Psalm 22. Everybody there? Now this psalm is written by David, right? But listen to the words and take a guess whose lips we hear these words on. Verse 1, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Verse 16, for dogs have surrounded me. The congregation of the wicked has enclosed me. They pierced my hands and my feet. I count all my bones, they look and stare at me, they divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. Now who does this sound like? Jesus. Now I want you to read just one more verse here, verse 6, since we know that this is, is a messianic psalm, it's a uh, quoted, parts are quoted by Christ. Verse 6 says, but I am a worm and no man, a reproach of men, and despised by the people. 
Now, this Messianic psalm written by David um, says of this figure that he is a worm and not a man, symbolizing his weakness, right? Now, what do uh, children like to do with worms? Step on them, crush them, play with them, squish them, okay? So when we say that we cannot let people walk over us, we have to respond, we have to confront every circumstance, we should also recognize that that's not what Christ did. The Bible says that he was led to a lamb like a slaughter, and he opened not his mouth. See, pride is what causes us to feel the need to address every issue, even ones that are insignificant. And yet, as we'll see in James chapter 4, God is looking for those who are humble. In light of all that I have said in my introduction, the first thing I want you to see in the text of James chapter 4, verses 1 through 12, is that conflict is the result of an unsatisfied internal war for sinful pleasure. Conflict is the result of an unsatisfied internal war for sinful pleasure. Now notice what James says again. He says, where do wars and fights come from among you? All right, and so he's talking to Christians. He's talking about where do conflicts come from in your church, people? Where does conflict, wars, and fights come from among you? Okay. Do they not come from your desires for pleasure that what? War in your members. I know that everyone oftentimes thinks that the reason that they are in conflict is because of the other person. Okay. Well, if, if she didn't get in front of me, I would not have had to explain how Six Flags work and laugh when she got flustered and walked away. <laughs> if they had not cut me off in traffic, I would not have, you know, giving them some lack of fingers, four to be specific. Okay. But the truth is that we have to remember, as the saying goes, it takes two to tango. Most conflict involves the action and reactions of two or more individuals, and our reactions can equally be the result of an internal desire for pleasure. So when someone cuts in front of you, you want to let them know that you know they got in front of you. Okay. When you are in conflict, the first thing that you must do 
is to forget about the other person and analyze what is taking place inside of you. See, when we begin addressing conflict, we immediately start with, well, you did this, you did this, you did this. And we start conflict by pointing the finger at someone else. And usually when we start by pointing the finger at someone else, right, we are almost guaranteeing that we do not resolve the conflict. The reason that we are guaranteeing that we do not resolve the conflict is because by, by pointing fingers, we put the other person on the defensive, number one. And number two, we are guaranteeing that we don't resolve the conflict because we don't look at our reactions as sinful, just as sinful as the person's actions against us. We were, as usual, we start on uh, Wednesday nights, we talk about the passage up front. Um, that kind of gives me a, a, a good puts me in the right mindset to know where I need to take my sermons, right? <laughs> so oftentimes when we talk about conflict, you know, everyone wants to talk about marriage. Okay. And so, so as we spent half a Bible study talking about mar- conflict in marriage, right? <laughs> One of the things we, I, I had to always remind us of is that first, you know, whatever the divorce rate is, right, there's a dispute, right? If it's around 30% for first marriages, some people say 50% of all first marriages. It's not true. It's really only roughly in the 20s, right? Um, But whatever the percent is, first marriages fail at a particular rate. And so people leave that first marriage and and because they believe that it's my spouse. My spouse is crazy. I got to get away from my spouse. And so they get married a second time. And what they don't realize is that second marriages fail at a higher rate than first marriages. Okay. Um, But not to be outdone because we think the third time is the charm. Okay. We move to our third marriage. And third marriages fail at a higher rate than second marriages. Now, after your third marriage, right, you'd be like, I'm just done. This marriage thing does not work. Okay. And the reason that we think marriage does not work is because we keep looking that direction instead of looking at in this direction. You see, regardless of what the other person does, we always have a reaction or a response. And our response is sometimes sinful. But if we don't learn to examine ourselves and realize that we take ourselves everywhere we go, we're going to continue to repeat this process over and over and over. So even if you are the person that is sinned against, the only way to truly resolve a conflict is to start by asking yourself, what's going on inside of me? You need to ask yourself questions like, what is it about this person or situation that bothers me? 
what did these feel where did these feelings come from whether we're talking about pride or frustration or unmet expectations why did I respond like that how could I have responded differently what was I trying to accomplish or to get out of this situation because all of these questions will expose to us our inner desires now look back at verse 1 look look what James says in the second question he says do they not come from your desires for pleasure that what war in your members The external conflicts that we face is the result of an inner war. The reason that we're at war with one another is because we are warring inside of ourselves and we are losing that war. As a matter of fact, the real war is internal. Our external conflicts are the result of losing the internal war with our own desires for pleasure. The reason that we are locked in battle with one another is because of the battle that rages within. Whether we're talking about pride or feelings of inadequacy, feelings of superiority, anger, frustration, unmet, unmet expectations, ambition, visions, dreams and goals, deadlines, bills, or happiness. <laughs> Every single day, we have these and other issues flowing through our hearts and minds, and they are causing us to have specific desires. And when those desires go unmet, we feel like we're losing the war within. It produces conflict on the outside as well. What we have to recognize is that these unsatisfied desires are the immediate cause of all of our interpersonal conflict. Now think about it. Think about the last conflict you had. Okay. Okay. Think about the last conflict you had. Okay. What caused you to be upset in this conflict it, it 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 could have been the person just saying something smart to you right saying something out of the way right but the question is well why did that comment upset you right maybe someone cut you off in traffic why did that upset you you don't own the highway <laughs> I remember riding with someone before and and um we're riding down the highway and and um this cars that uh, we're in traffic clearly, but uh, this car just pulls off on the shoulder and just zoom taking off down the highway. And and this person sees the car coming in the rearview mirror and swerves over in the into the, <laughs> the into the to block them from driving. And they're like, they ain't got no business riding on the shoulder. Yeah. You own the shoulder? <laughs> you, you don't own the shoulder. Why are you why are you mad that a random stranger 
is driving on the shoulder. You almost caused an accident trying to stop a random stranger from riding on the shoulder that you don't own. For what reason? It's just not right. See, all of our internal conflicts come from some desire. Maybe the desire is just to teach people that they shouldn't ride on the, on the shoulder. I don't know. That's none of your business. Okay. So we have to ask ourselves, when these conflicts come, why does it bother me? Why do I respond to certain things? James goes on to tell us, after he says that these conflicts are the result of an internal war, he says, you lust and you do not have. You murder and you covet and you cannot obtain. You fight and you war, yet you do not have because you do not ask. James is, is starting to show us the internal workings of our hearts. He tells us that we are engulfed by our desires and we lose control of them, and yet we still don't get what we want. We spend so much time daydreaming and lusting after certain things, and, 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 and all of that still doesn't give us what we want. James says that you are so engulfed that you may even be driven to murder. And you know, we all good Christians, so you know, we would never take somebody's life but right here <laughs> you know boy if you could get arrested for killing people in your mind how many how many christians would be in jail but remember jesus says that if you hate your brother without a cause you've already broken that commandment you 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 hate people you're angry with people, you murder people, you even covet their own possessions. And you still can't obtain what you want. Do you know how many people I've watched all of these, you know, police shows and, and you see people who, who kill people to get their possessions and somehow really think that they're not going to get caught. You murder <laughs> and then they lock you up and you still can't obtain what you wanted. He says, therefore, you fight and you war. In Greek, this is causal. The reason that you fight and you war is because you lust and can't get it, you kill and you can't get it, you covet and you can't get it, so you keep fighting. When all you have to do is ask. You do not have because you do not ask. And you ask and do not receive because you ask amiss or you ask with the wrong motive that you may spend it on your own lust. James is trying to tell us that we end up in a perpetual battle with others, not realizing that we could obtain more if we simply ask. But the problem is that we are too prideful to ask people for what we need. We are either too prideful to ask because we think that it makes us look weak, or we don't want to experience the pain 
of someone telling us no. So because we want to be seen as having everything under control or wanting to be seen as self-sufficient or not wanting to experience the disappointment of others not being willing or able to give us what we need, we keep fighting to get it instead of simply asking. Now, <coughs> this is a vicious cycle because... We feel we aren't getting what we want, so we fight to get it, which alienates us a little more <laughs> from the people that we want to get it from. And that causes us to fight a little harder, right, which alienates us a little more. And so, so we create this vicious cycle. And we don't realize that the cycle is being fueled by our internal desires for pleasure. And that if we just first start by addressing our internal desires for pleasure, right, we can, for the most part, cut down on the external conflicts that we have. James now is addressing our motives. When he says that we don't ask and even when we do ask, we don't receive, he tells us why. He says that the reason that when you do ask for what you need, but you don't receive it, it is because you ask with the wrong motive, and that motive is so that you can consume what you receive on your own pleasure. The problem here is that our desires are not rooted in love. The problem is that our desires are not rooted in love because love looks out for the needs of other people. Love does not use people and their things for self-gratification. So when you ask for something and you don't get it, right, you're frustrated, and you think that it's the other person's fault why you don't get it. But oftentimes, the reason that we don't receive what we ask for, and here, we're not talking about prayer, okay? Because in all three of these verses, he's talking about interactions between us. Oftentimes, the reason that we don't get what we, we ask for is because people perceive us as trying to use them or manipulate them for our own self-gratification. Too often, we are simply concerned about self-gratification. We care nothing about people and things as long as our desires are being met. And this attitude of lovelessness and using others and things for our own gratification is often the reason why our request go unanswered. <clears throat> now, I think that this is easy for us to see, right? At least in the other person. We can't see it in ourselves. Right? Um, sometimes we have just resolved ourselves to just saying this is how life is. Life is about conflict, so 
oh well <laughs> let's just move on right but that's not how life is supposed to be right we were not designed to have conflicts conflict is a result of sin and Christ has done everything that is needed and necessary in order to fix the problems that cause our relational problems. Now, James moves this passage forward, right? He begins by talking about conflict that is between us as the church, right? Where do wars come from among you, right? The people here. But what most of us don't see is that there is a correlation between our relationship with one another and our relationship with God. However, James points out that the same desires for pleasure that puts us at odds with fellow believers also puts us in a place of hostility with God. Now, this is one of the most difficult things to get people to see, right? Um, for some reason, people think that they can have a close relationship with God and yet be at conflict with everyone else. <laughs> right? I just love God. Me and God just have such a good relationship. Right? Well, well, why does that not translate into <laughs> you having a, such a good relationship with everyone else? John says that you, you, you can't love God whom you have not seen and not love the people that you see every day. Right. The, these, these two things can't go hand in hand. Right. Jesus says that the greatest commandment is to love God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And the second commandment is equal to that. to love your neighbor as yourself. Now, if you are completely wholeheartedly loving God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, and with all your strength, but you are not loving your neighbor as yourself, the truth is you are not loving God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. These two things have a very strong correlation with one another. So much so that how we treat people is actually indicative of how we treat God. We just don't recognize it. <laughs> now listen to what James says. Why do I say that? Verse 4, James moves from talking about our relationships with one another, right? And he starts verse 4 by saying, adulterers and adulteresses. Now, there's nothing in the text that says anything about anyone doing anything with somebody else's spouse. Okay. Okay. So, 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 so why does James bring this into the text? Okay. He says, adulterers and adulteresses. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity or hostility with God? Whoever, therefore, wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you think that the scripture says in vain, the spirit who dwells in us yearns jealously? Second thing I want you to see here in this passage in verses four and five 
is that this internal war for pleasure not only results in human conflict, but also puts us in a place of hostility with God. This internal war for pleasure not only results in human conflict, but also puts us in a place of hostility with God. Now, whether or not we want to admit it, our desire for pleasures is rooted in our love for this world. Whether we want to admit it or not, our desire for pleasure is rooted in our love for the world. I know we're not supposed to say that we love the world. If I ask you, like, do you love the world? Mm, I love Jesus. Okay. <laughs> okay. The truth is that in some sense, all of us want our best life now. Like Mary J. Blige, I just want to be happy. We all want mental, emotional, and relational peace now. Waiting for heaven isn't always good enough. It's not good enough. I know it's not good enough because when we talk, and yeah, you know, but God just asked you to suffer right now. Well, I don't know, Pastor. <laughs> <You> know? <laughs> right. Right. We, we even say things like, some people are just so heavenly minded, there's they aren't any earthly good. I always wonder, I'm like, that don't even make no sense. <laughs> How can you be so heavenly minded that you aren't any earthly good? It, it, it would just uh, it would appear to me that the most the people who do the most good on earth are the ones who are the most heavenly minded. Right, because your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So if I'm heavenly minded, I should be doing, you know, a lot, a lot more on earth. I, I, that's just me. I just maybe I think too much. But anyway, waiting for heaven isn't always good enough. We want these pleasures now. I want, you know, my finances finances fixed now. I want, you know, marriage problems to go away now, right? I want my children to listen now. I want the person who cut me off out of my way now, okay? We want mental, emotional, relationship peace. We want all of those things right now. And although we know that this world is not the end, we do not often live like it. We know the world is not the end, but that's not how we live. And we live like it truly because deep down we have an internal attraction that is love and desire for the things of this world. Now, all of us uh, are familiar with 1 John, right? We know in chapter 2, verses 15 through 17, John tells us, do not love the world, right? Or the things that are in the world, because why? Everything that is in the world right? The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, and the pride of life is not of the Father, right? The world is passing away, and the lust thereof, but he who does the will of God abides forever. He warns us that we are not supposed to love the world because all that the world has to offer is the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, and the pride of life. 
And he tells us that these things are not from God. And yet, every single one of us, we struggle with the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, and the pride of life. And the reason that we struggle with these things is because we know we are not supposed to. But all of us love the world. This love of the world causes us to desire friendship with the world. And I would argue that this desire for friendship with the world is what causes many of us as Christians to prize worldly wisdom over godly wisdom. Remember, the end of chapter three talks about wisdom that is from the um, that is earthly, sensual, demonic. Right. From the world, the flesh and the devil versus wisdom that comes from above. And and as Christians, all of us struggle with this. But but sometimes we prize wisdom that comes from the world over wisdom that comes from God. Say. I'm not even going to go there. Say everything from last week. (laughs) Okay, But we prize the wisdom that comes from the world over the wisdom of God because we do love the world. But James states emphatically that our desire for friendship with the world puts us in a place of hostility with God. Now, I'm reading, was reading through um, John MacArthur's commentary on this. And John MacArthur says that he um, believes that James is referring to unbelievers in the church, right? And so he says he believes that, that James is, is, is addressing unbelievers in the church because as Christians, we can't be an enemy of God. To be an enemy of God is, is, is something for unsaved people, right? And, uh, but I, 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 don't ag- I, I can't agree with him on this, right? Um, first, I can't agree with him on this because he starts off by ta- calling them adulterers and adulteresses. Okay, now come back to why I think that that he must be talking to Christians um, by using just using those terms alone. But it is it is not to say that someone is unsaved because they put themselves in a place of hostility with God. Right. It just means that as Christians, we aren't living you know, consistently with what we believe. Remember Romans chapter 8. Paul says that the carnal mind is enmity with God because it cannot, does not submit to the laws of God. Right? Now, of course, I believe that Paul is addressing unsaved people there. People who have carnal minds, right, that are unsaved, right, they can't submit to God's laws. Right. Because they believe that they're foolish. Now, it would make sense to say, oh, well, if you are in hostility or making yourself the enemy of God, then, well, you probably are an unbeliever. I don't think that's what what James is trying to say. James is trying to say by desiring and loving the world. Right. We are placing ourselves in a place of hostility because God is angry with the world and we're putting ourselves in the place where the world is and siding with his enemies. So even though we know the law of God, we believe the law of God, we don't always submit to the law of God, to use Paul's term. We can, 
but we don't because of our love for the world. I think that there are two things that we can deduce from these verses, verses four through five. Number one, that we unknowingly treat God the same way that we treat all other persons. And number two, that our strong emotional attachment, that is our desire for friendship with the world, is viewed by God as spiritual adultery. Let me take the first one. The truth is we unknowingly treat God the same way we treat all other persons. Now, if we are the type of person that uses people and things for our own personal gratification, right, how do we separate that from how we treat God? Oftentimes, we think that we can make that separation, that the way we treat people has nothing to do with the way we treat God. But what we're failing to realize is that the same heart that is willing and able to mistreat or misuse other people and things is the same heart that interacts with God, with with, with the same person. And if our hearts are such that we are able to mistreat or misuse people for our own gratification, could it be that we're doing the same thing with God and yet don't realize it? Now, I recently had to tell a friend of mine that she was selfish. And uh, uh, as you can imagine, that conversation didn't go over very well. I think that this passage in James chapter 4 perfectly (laughs) describes my friend. Always in conflict, (laughs) always trying to get her needs met through other people. But of course, my friend doesn't see it this way. Regardless of what everyone else sees, this person thinks that they are are a self-sacrificing person. Always giving, always helping. This is what what she sees. Now, I tried to offer some examples of what I, what I mean, and one of the examples that I used was of her relationship with God. Right? She often talks about her relationship with God. However, when she talks about spending time with God, it's always around two subjects, money and dating relationships. Always around those two subjects, right? Money, God wants her to be blessed. And dating, God doesn't want her to be alone. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Now, if you spend time with God and all of your conversations with God revolve around money and a relationship, is it possible that you don't love God as the goal, but as a means to an end. And quite naturally, uh, growing up with this person, I know that 
Uh, whenever this person is in a relationship, she's not in church. And whenever she's in church, she's not in a relationship. <laughs> My friend unknowingly is just using God for self-gratification, but thinks that because she spends a lot of time reading the Bible, that it's about loving God. Now, before we look down on my friend, okay, right, so we, this is about James. This is about personal application. Before we look down on my friend, can't that be said of all of us? How often do you pray without worshiping God first? Wake up in the morning. Oh, I got to get ready for work. Lord, I pray you help me get to work on time. Don't let my boss be there because I'm going to be late. Um, you know, <laughs> make sure there's no traffic in the way and make sure there's a parking spot when I get there. Amen. Out and out and you're out the door. No, good morning, Lord. Thank this is, I thank you for waking me up this morning. No worship song, no talking to the Lord. Just, Lord, this is what I need. Let's go. How often do we pray and we don't even sit and wait to hear God's answer? God, here's my list. Thank you. Right. Yeah, I mean, no time to just stop and say, you know what? Let God just quiet. Let's sit quiet. Let God speak. Lord, what do you what do you want to say to me? Well, how often do we pray and don't even wait for God to respond? That's like asking somebody a question and then walking away before they answer. How often is the whole relationship with God centered around asking for things and getting things, and it is not about him. That's because unknowingly, all of us at some point are just using God for self-gratification and seeing him as a means to an end and not the goal itself. So that if he never answers any of our prayers, if we have him, we have more than enough. How often are we in a cold war? Okay, so um, the young people may not understand that term, cold war. Okay. I'm I'm too young to understand the term either, but I was able. I, I sort of, you know, you know, I, I do un read history. You know, in the cold war. Okay, how often are we in a cold war with God? We talk about conflict with, with each other. How often are we in a cold war with God, not receiving because we won't ask him, right? Or asking and not receiving because we have the wrong motives. Aren't we all like that sometimes? You're like, well, did you pray about it? Nope. I, I already know God not going to give me that, so I'm going to just work on this myself. <laughs> Well, I've been praying. I ain't even praying no more. I've been praying all so long, and ain't nothing happening. So you don't receive because you don't ask. 
And maybe you keep praying all over and over and over, asking for things over and over and over again, and God keeps saying no because you're asking with the wrong motives so that you can consume it on your own lust. I remember, I like to start trouble on Facebook. So last year, you all know that Creflo Dollar, uh, he needed a brand new jet. And so he was reaching out to all of his partners because he needed to raise $65 million to get a brand new jet so he could travel around the world spreading the gospel. Okay. And so I, one of my friends on, 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 on um, Facebook, uh, I shared the article like, man, it's crazy. So one of my friends was like, uh, don't, be, don't be doing that. That ain't right. You know, I, I wish God would give me enough money to just tithe and buy the whole jet for him. And when I read it, I'm like, they think that sounds spiritual. That, that if God would give me $650 million, I would give God $65 million and just bless people. All you're saying is that I want God to give me stuff to consume with my own lust. You know why we know that is true? Because God gave you 65000 and you won't give him 6500 but if he give me 650 million, I sure will give him 65 million. No, you won't. No, you won't. That's why most people who win the lottery end up filing bankruptcy. Because everything we get is to consume on our own lust. And sometimes we're in this, this cold war asking for God, God, if you just bless me, I'll do this. No, do it first, and then maybe God will bless you. But how about this? Do it and don't even expect a blessing. That's how you know we're doing it for God. See, sometimes we're praying and we're asking and we think that that God doesn't hear us. But God is saying no because our motives are wrong. Our desires are out of place. And if he gives us what we ask for, it will cause even more pain and turmoil in our lives. Now, James takes this a step further, and this is where I'm going to end today at, at this verse. James takes this a whole thing a step forward. He doesn't just say that we unknowingly uh, use God for our own purposes. He calls us adulterers and adulteresses. Now, this idea is rooted in the Old Testament view of Yahweh's relationship with Israel, right? Yahweh was Israel's husband. So all of their sin and all of their idolatry was viewed as spiritual adultery. I want you to look real quick. Jeremiah chapter 3. Jeremiah chapter 3. One verse, verse 8, Jeremiah chapter 3. Well, let me start, I'll start at verse 6. Jeremiah chapter 3, verse 6. The Lord said also to me in the days of Josiah the king, 
Have you seen what backsliding Israel has done? She has gone up on every high mountain and under every green tree, and there played the harlot, referencing um, idolatry, using Asherah poles. And I said, verse 7, after she had done these things, return to me. But she did not return. And her treacherous sister Judah saw it. Then I saw that for all the causes for which backsliding Israel had committed what? Adultery. I had put her away and given her a certificate of divorce. Yet her treacherous sister Judah did not fear, but went and played the harlot also. So the northern tribes, God, they were, they were in idolatry against God. God sent them away. Assyria, come attack them, take them away. Maybe Judah would fear and stay faithful to the Lord. But guess what? Nope. We want to go play the harlot with the same idols. God says that their infidelity to him is considered spiritual idolatry. Turn one book over to Ezekiel. I'm sorry, two books over. Lamentations, then Ezekiel. Chapter 16, Ezekiel chapter 16, just verse 32, you are an adulterous wife who takes strangers instead of her husband, okay, talking to the nation of Israel, okay, so because God is seen as Israel's husband, right, their sin and idolatry is considered spiritual adultery. Now, when we come to the New Testament, right, Paul says the same thing to us as Christians. I want you to turn to 2 Corinthians real quick. 2 Corinthians chapter 11. 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Second Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1. Oh, that you would bear with me in a little folly, and indeed you do bear with me. For I am jealous for you with godly jealousy. For I have what? I have betrothed you to one husband, that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. The church which is called the bride of Christ. <laughs> the church, which is called the bride of Christ, also has a husband, and his name is Jesus Christ. And he alone deserves to be the object of our love, devotion, and desires. But when we have affection for the world, when we desire friendship with the world, when we have these deep emotional attractions to the world and or we let our desire for pleasure rage within us unchecked, we are committing spiritual adultery against our husband, Jesus Christ. Everyone see that? 
Now, the reason this puts us in conflict, to go back to James chapter 4, the reason that this puts us in conflict with God is because we can remember back to the Ten Commandments, Exodus chapter 20, uh, I believe verse 5. He says, the Lord your God is a jealous God. He is passionate and zealous for his own glory. In Isaiah, he says, my glory I will not share with another. You will be completely devoted to me, or you can go your own way. (laughs) So when we are splitting our desire between God and the world, right? James says, you're committing spiritual adultery. You are putting your place, yourself in a place of hostility with God. You are making yourself an enemy of God. Now, this is, you can close up. I'm, I'm going to stop right here. But what I want us to keep in mind here is James is trying to address what genuine faith is, right? Remember, to go back to our uh, definition of of faith, faith includes three things. It includes knowledge, right? But that knowledge is not enough. Saving faith is not just knowledge of God or what he has done. Saving faith takes the next step, which is assent, right? It, it, it embraces this truth as truth, right? And when you embrace the, embrace the truth as truth, you must change. So remember we talked about it changes your convictions. It changes the way you see the world. It changes your worldview, Right. It, it, it shapes and molds who you are so that you be so where you were formerly aligned with the world. Now you are aligned with God. Right. And then third, it entails trust, trusting a person. Right? James is trying to help us to see the places where we are not being consistent. Because if we have embraced the truth, the truth must change how we live. And James is saying that if you are not changing how you live, there's something wrong with your faith. Right? And it's it's spiritual adultery. He's trying to help us see the reasons why we don't live consistently with our faith. And the reason that we don't live consistently with our faith, the same reason that John tells us in 1 John chapter 2, is that we love the world. We love all the things that the world has to offer. We, the, the lust of the flesh, we like the physical gratification from the world, right? Eating a whole tub of ice cream. So, I mean, it just, it just feels good. Right? Especially when I just had a long day. They've been getting on my nerves at work. I just, I just want to sit back and turn on the TV and just, just eat, right? The, the, the lust of the eyes, 
right? The world has so many beautiful things to offer you. The only problem is that you thought it was green grass, but it was really just astroturf. Or, as Medea says, they got a real high water bill. <laughs> okay. right? The pride of life. Right? Anybody going to tell me anything? I, I do what I want. <laughs> it is the love of the world that fuels these internal desires that cause the conflict in our lives. Now, what we think is that if loving the world is what causes me to have these internal desires for pleasure, right, then the next step is that then I need, I need to do something. I need to somehow decrease my love for the world. Or I need to deal with the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, and the pride of life myself. I, I have to do something. And James is 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 very clear starting in verse six on how well that will work out he simply says but he gives more grace now why would james need to say that james would need to say that because we don't have the ability to change our love for the world we don't have the ability ourselves to overcome the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, and the pride of life. This is not something that's overcome by more willpower. Right? It's only overcome by grace from God and humility before God. And when we, we allow God to, to operate in our lives through his grace and exercise humility, Right. And we'll see that, that that humility, he goes through a list of things. Humble yourself before the mighty hand of God. Resist the devil and he will flee. Right. All of that. Right. When we start doing these things to show our humility before God. Right. God's grace produces the change. So we'll come back to that. We'll pick that up next week. And so we can finish these two things. How do. Um, the, the last two parts say, how do we overcome these external conflicts? How do we overcome the internal war inside of us for desire? And again, the answer is through grace that comes from God and by humility before God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you today again for allowing us to come into your presence and to look at this passage from James. Lord, I pray that you would help us to examine ourselves. The truth is, all of us fall into these categories at some time. All of us are fighting internal wars every day, whether it is for significance or adequacy or whether it's pride whether it is unmet desires, whatever it is, every single one of us, because we are sinners living in a fallen world, we have dreams of where we want to be, and yet life is not producing what we want all the time. And so we have unmet desires that puts us at odds with one another. 
And oftentimes we think, Lord, that, that you are our refuge, that you are the place that we can run to. But sadly, we don't recognize that we oftentimes treat you the same way we treat one another. But we don't see it. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would open our eyes. Help us to see that the person that we are in conflict with is not the real issue. The real issue is my desire for pleasure. Sometimes it's an appropriate desire, but maybe it's out of control. But I pray, Lord, that you would help us to look at ourselves first. And as we look at ourselves, Lord, I pray that you would help us to see that the pleasures that come from this world can never satisfy us. Because only you can do that. I pray, Lord, that you would help us to see the places where we have aligned ourselves with the world, even desiring friendship with the world. And help us to see that in those places we are committing spiritual adultery because our desire, our devotion, our commitment is only reserved for you. I pray that you would help us to more and more every single day live consistently with what we say we believe. We will all fall short. We will all fail. But I pray, Lord, that you would help us day by day to be more consistent with what we believe. I pray, Lord, that you would continue to work in each one of us, to grow us and develop us. As we have spent all of this time in the book of James, I pray, Lord, that all of the things that we've talked about with James, that you will keep bringing these things to our remembrance in the everyday circumstances of our lives. Help it not to be just head knowledge, but I pray that as you work in us, as we saw in chapter one, as you work in us to test our faith and put us through trials, that we would develop a heart knowledge knowledge based on application and love of you so that we can live in a way that pleases you, honors you, and glorifies you amongst everyone who sees our lives. We thank you for your faithfulness. Even though we are faithless, even though we sometimes commit spiritual adultery, you have promised that you will never leave us nor forsake us because you are a faithful God and King. And for that, Lord, we thank you, we honor you, and we praise you. It's in the precious name of Jesus we pray. Amen.